0: So today we're going to be talking about the Book of Haggai.
1: We've been going through different Old Testament books, looking about what, one book a week, an overview of what these books are about, and how we can learn from them, and some tips on reading them. So today we're doing Haggai, and uh, the reason I went ahead and went to Haggai uh, is because we had ended what's called the historical books with Esther in the Old Testament. And since we're doing Zechariah on Sunday, you'll see that Haggai and Zechariah are very much related to each other. So I thought it would be good for us to see the other prophet that was around around that same time. And uh, and if you read Haggai before coming here, uh, you'll notice that it was our easy reading assignment
0: <laughs> because it was only
1: two chapters long. It's a very short book. Next week, we're going to start the wisdom literature, and I'm going to... Do it a little out of order because I'm not going to do Proverbs next week because next Wednesday is Valentine's Day. And so we're going to look at Song of Solomon next Wednesday. And um, the book, it's about marriage, married love and that kind of thing. So we'll talk about that on next Wednesday. To um, catch you all, remind you guys, because y'all are my Wednesday night crowd. This Sunday we have the child dedication service and we are going to have i expect quite a few visitors as i said sunday in here this week on monday and tuesday i've been working very hard to get the fellowship room set up and so if we do need overflow sunday uh i I bought a brand new sound bar for that tv and it is very loud so and i and i checked all the cords and taped everything up so that room should be awesome If some of our members have to go over there and leave space for the visitors so they can actually see their little babies, you know, get dedicated. Um, And then our members can go over there while we're doing that kind of stuff. So I just want to let you know that that overflow room is available this Sunday. If that's something that we need to do because of all the visitors. And y'all are my Wednesday night crowd. So I know that y'all, you know, as accommodating as church possibly can be when it comes to visitors like that. I believe believe in y'all. So, uh, Josie, is she's three and a half now, uh, almost four, really. And so, Ashley and I, and we're probably a little late on this, I'll admit it, but we've decided it's probably about time that she starts taking responsibility for some chores, some things that she has to do around the house, in particular, cleaning up her own messes. She likes to, as every kid I've ever met, get toys out, throw them around the room, and then just leave them there as she shifts to the next toy. And I'm pretty sure I've not met a kid that doesn't do that. And so we figured it's about time for Josie to learn that mommy and daddy aren't going to be the only ones that pick up the toy. She needs to do that. But Josie has not learned that lesson very well from us. So for example, she might have some blocks out in the corner of the room and we might say, hey, Josie, Mommy and Daddy are going to clean up this area of the living room. You clean up your blocks. Just clean up your blocks. That's all we're asking you to do. And we'll go and we'll clean up the living room in the other area. We'll get back. And Josie would have pulled cars out and would be playing with cars in the block area. And there would be maybe four or five blocks picked up. So one of the things that we've discovered to kind of get her motivated is And I don't know if this would work for every kid, but it works for Josie is we set a timer and we tell her, all right, Josie, then we do a time that would be unbelievably long enough for a tiny person like her to do a task. We say, all right, here's the timer. We slap it on the wall. We say, hey, when that hits zero and there are blocks on the ground, you're going to get punished. And it's amazing how just putting that little bit of motivation, that timer on the wall kind of gets her up out of her seat and doing the things that we've told her to do. Well, that timer is basically Haggai. Haggai is a prophet. And his job is to set the fire under God's people's bottoms to get us up <laughs> out of our seat to actually do the things that God has told us to do. That's Haggai's job as a prophet. And it's very much even for today, a word for us today. He was writing in 520 B.C. to Israelites. He was telling them the main point was he wanted them to build the temple. Just like Zechariah, they were at the same time. It was about building the temple of God. But the principles of Haggai are absolutely still true for this today. And to be completely honest, guys, and it was only two chapters, so it's almost tempting to read the whole thing here. Um, I really believe that a lot of Christians struggle in life because they don't pay attention to what Haggai says. Haggai has some very serious words about the way that God interacts with believers. And I fully believe that if we as Christians in general would actually heed the word that God used through Haggai to still speak to us today, we would have fewer problems in our community, fewer problems in our family, and fewer problems in our churches. It's that important, I think, this little tiny bullet. And so what's going on in Haggai, and what does Haggai teach us that is so powerful, even though it is so short? Well, let's talk about that today and First, I'm going to uh, introduce it, as I always do, a little bit, and then give you some of the things that we got to know, some of these messy bits that that help us understand the book a little bit better. So as an introduction, I mean, it's only two chapters long, so there's not much to introduce to it, other than to let you know that the book is primarily about the Israelites building the temple of God, Uh, and we'll talk about when that happened in a second, and that we, we think Haggai wrote it. We assume Haggai wrote it. There's nothing in the book that says explicitly that Haggai was the one that, now we know Haggai said the prophecies. I'm not debating that. I'm saying who actually put it down on paper. And we assume Haggai also not just said prophecies, but he was the one that put it down on paper too. Um, Because there's nothing that would make us think otherwise. That it could be anybody else that actually wrote the the prophecies and oracles down other than Haggai himself. So the first messy bit to know when reading this book is really what's going on in Israel's life that makes Haggai's words so strong, because they're very strong words. And what's going on that he has to say such strong words to Israel, um, and how do they relate today? So to give you a little bit of background on that, Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., Then in 539 B.C., Persia takes over Babylon. They capture and take over Babylonians. 538 B.C. is when Cyrus tells his decree, saying that all Israelites can go back to Israel if they choose. And of course, some do. Most don't. Most don't go back to Israel in 538 B.C. So in 536 is when the first group, led by Zerubbabel, who's in the book of Haggai, they come back in 536 BC. They arrive, they build a foundation. But after they build the foundation, they basically stop. They kind of look around and they say, Hey, we're we're our houses are still torn down, our fields are still messed up. And so they kind of make the decision: let's let's kind of fix our own houses and our own fields first. And when we're done fixing our stuff, we'll go back and help with the temple. 16 years later. And they haven't returned to the temple. They're still hanging out in their houses. That's when Haggai and Zechariah show up on the scene by God. The temple has been left desolate for 16 years after they've been told to return. This is before Esther. It's about 40 years before Esther, 35 years before Esther. And it's about 80 or 60 years before um, Ezra and Nehemiah came on the scene. So this is before Esther. This is for Ezra and Nehemiah. It's 16 years after Israel gets back. And so that's what we have here uh, and what we're dealing with. Zerubbabel is a huge person in the book of Haggai. He was the governor of Jerusalem during this time. And we really don't know that much about him other than that. Um, But he is inspired by Haggai in particular and Zechariah 2. And he and the people get back to work at the temple, and they do complete the temple in 515 B.C., five years after Haggai's prophecies. Uh, my dad, um, he loves the book of Haggai, and so I was asking him about it before coming here today. And I said, what is something that people need to know about Haggai? And he said, well, you know, prophets are successful They're only if they preach God's word correctly. Like, that is the definition of success for a prophet. You preach God's word correctly, you're a successful prophet. But if you redefine success as the people actually listen to the word that you say, (laughs) he said Haggai might be the most successful prophet in Israel's entire history. Because they actually did do what Haggai said and work on the temple after he told them to. And most prophets, that wasn't true at all. They just completely ignored him. So he he would have the distinction then of being one of the few prophets, if not the only prophet, where the people actually did listen to what he said, even in these two short little books here. So the book is four different, really not prophecies, kind of like prophecies, but oracles, words, you could say, or messages from Haggai. And they are dated, which is very helpful. And I'll, I'll tell you the dates and how the, the order goes if you're a date person, even in relation to Zechariah, who lived in the same time. So the first word, the first message came on August 29th, 520 B.C. August 29th, 520 B.C. The second one came on October 17th, 520 B.C. And then in November, Zechariah did his first message, which is Zechariah chapter one, verses one through eight. That was in November of that year. Then December 18th, Haggai gives two messages. um, And and this is in chapter two, verse 10, chapter two, verse 20. So that's December 18th, 520 B.C. And then two months later on February 15th is when Zechariah has his night visions we've been talking about. So that gives you kind of an idea. When we talk about Haggai and Zechariah, we're talking in the course of less than a year where these two guys work together to motivate Israel to do what God wants them to do. It's pretty amazing. So when we talk about Israel during this time, we're talking about a people that um, were really tending to their own needs first. They were looking after their houses, their vineyards. They weren't super interested or even um, paying that much attention to the temple. They were also a time when they were depressed because they were still part of the Persian Empire. They had enemies that were opposing them violently. As you see in Ezra and Nehemiah, um, the prophecies of the new Jerusalem that are in the previous prophets weren't looking like they were coming true. All that kind of combined together to set the stage for the type of people that Haggai speaks to. Um, And the question I have for you guys today is, what are some examples today of Christians facing the same sort of situations. Why well, might be some similar situations for Christians today? Because <clears throat> obviously we're not called to build a temple. So what what, what in ways are we sometimes like Israel
0: back then? Be complacent. Yeah. I mean right after you know after COVID. You know, so many people. Well, everybody had to stay home, and they hadn't actually come out yet. They, you still have people that watch online, and mm-hmm. you know, don't come out. Yeah. So we all get complacent to stay where we are. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I think our church has been pretty good about not doing that, but I know some churches got hit really hard by people being happy with just staying home and getting out of the routine and finding that complacency because of COVID, which is a good analogy. I hadn't thought about COVID being with these guys, but probably a good
0: analogy between them and what happened with COVID. I think sometimes we feel
2: willing, or I personally feel real comfortable maybe witnessing to somebody in a way like witnessing or something. Yeah. But uh, our little Taiwanese neighbors, I think have spoken about them before in the precious. And just after Christmas time, I just stopped up on my walk and it was about quarter of 11 or so. And I previously I would stopped there and no issues or anything. Well, no one answered. And then when I had told her I stopped up, I texted her or something. She says, Okay, thank you. And she didn't text back all this time. And I thought, Well, I've done something culturally wrong or I've done something that because she, uh, she speaks excellent. Her husband doesn't, but I'm sure he understands very well for 40 years. Yeah. But uh, I thought I've done something wrong and, and that. And so I, I wrote her a oh, note and I said oh, you know, that if I had done anything that had been insensitive that I apologized and everything, well, I never heard from her. And so um, yesterday, it was a piece of cake for me. Yesterday I Joe made a cake, so I this morning I texted her and I said I wanted to stop by and she says, Oh sure. And so her husband last year had built us a little gate between us and so we said when we did the gate and I told her and it was about something different, but somebody else said with feelings and they had a different like, She says that um Michael it had kinda upset her husband some and language is a very good for him. I'm sure because in Atlanta see, he probably had a, a community of people to speak. Mm-hmm so much family only in the internet. but um, anyway whatever had happened had nothing to do with our relationship they had just gone into this and I almost neglected of uh, a relationship because of just not wanting to make that move
0: yeah just just the almost like the reluctance to make the move to do yeah, something
2: to um, mm-hmm. kind of just put yourself
0: up yeah absolutely
1: so we'll see a little bit and uh, a little bit more because we're going to read some parts of Haggai. We got started a little late today, so uh, unfortunately we're not going to get to go in as deep as I was uh, hoping and planned to do. But, um, you know, there's definitely, you know, I will, we'll just see it. So the next messy bit, so as we talk about, is how can a book that's focused on building the temple in Jerusalem have anything to talk to us as Christians today? That's the question people would ask, probably if had because we don't have to build a temple. So why does it speak to us today? And as I've argued before, I think not only is it relevant today, it's really powerful for Christians today to understand what this book is trying to teach. And the first of those lessons is that God wants us to have correct priorities. Um, we are supposed to take care of our family but we aren't supposed to take care of our family so much so that we actually neglect God. And that's what God gets upset about. I mean, it was 16 years. We're not talking about a couple of Sundays to take a vacation. It was 16 years for these people and God and his family gets a little upset at their priorities regarding this, especially when he allowed them to come back. So let's see how Haggai opens up after 16 years Read, some. I want to read, or I can read, um, we'll get somebody else to read. Let me get this one, because I have it right here already pulled up. The first, really the first message that Haggai says, which is in chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. says, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people say, well, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the Lord of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but there's not enough to satisfy. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put it into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountain, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes so little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own houses. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil and what the ground produces on men, on cattle, on all of your labor of your hands. Sixteen years, they haven't heard anything. And that's the first words they hear from the Lord through Haggai. And so my question to you guys is based on that passage, one, what is God upset about? Uh, and secondly, how does he show Israel that he's upset about it? Yeah. That's absolutely right. He shows
2: somebody that whatever their labors are, whatever whatever it is when it's growing food or providing for themselves or whatever, they can never get enough of it. They can never get it fighting.
0: They put me as a priority. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's pretty blunt. But you guys all go back to your houses, and my house is the mess. Mm-hmm. I need you to fix my house so I can be glorified. And you guys are just going home. Mm-hmm. I was drowned on the land.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a farming community, that's, you know, like a death nail. So this passage, to me, when we talk about how Haggai relates to today, um, you know, we don't have a temple anymore, but we definitely see the importance again and again in the Bible of the need to take care and, and to serve God. And like I said, to put him first. And even to the point of when we talk about tithing or giving to the Lord, to me, this is one of the most powerful tithing, pro tithing passages in the whole Bible because of what Joyce was saying. Uh, he basically challenges them and is like, look, my, my favorite line, he says there's holes in your purses. He's like, look, you have all this stuff and yet you never have enough. And the reason why is not because you're not working hard enough, it's because you're not working in the right places. He says you're working at your own homes instead of coming to serve the temple and rebuild the temple. And it's a challenge really, you could almost say the opposite would have been true. If they had actually served in the temple and given to the temple and helped build the temple, then the opposite would have been true. In fact, we actually find that out in chapter two, that it would be like they their purses were always full and they ate a little bit. And they weren't hungry anymore. They drank a little bit and they were fine. And so God almost like demonstrates the. As we said, the, the, he's mad that the priorities are off and he demonstrates he's upset by not allowing them to have the satisfaction they want. And that is, like I said, it's a powerful tithing and giving lesson when it comes to that, but it's even a powerful lesson in what it means to serve the Lord and to give of other stuff other than money. And we find out that in the very next verse, verse 12 and 13, that Zerubbabel listens. He's no dummy. Uh, He listens and they rebuild the temple, actually, when they hear a lesson like that. And I wish that Christians would read Haggai and obey Haggai as well as Zerubbabel did. And not like Zerubbabel outdo us and how obedient we are to the Lord. So one of the things that Haggai teaches us there is the importance of, of making God a priority in our life. And the way God can bless us and remove blessings from us, depending on how that goes. The second thing we see from Haggai is the importance of the temple, especially for the Israelite people, because it meant that was God's presence, that was God's hope. Uh, it's where the sacrifices were made. Of course, we don't have the temple now. In a sense, our temple is Jesus. We don't have time because of our starting late. But John two eighteen through twenty two, Jesus equates himself with the temple. And Jesus, then, is the place where we find all the stuff that the Jewish people were looking in that temple. The, um, the third lesson we get from this is just God's amazing renewal in the nation of Israel, the God's ability to renew his people when his people actually do what he tells them to. And so to get this, well, let's, let's compare two passages. Somebody read chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Who wants that? Chapter 1, 13 through 15. Mm-hmm. All right, Josh, and then somebody read chapter 2, 17 through 19. Vince, all right, go ahead, Josh. Then I got the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the
0: people with the Lord's message. I have been "Praise the Lord. For the Spirit of the Lord, the Son of Sheltiel, Governor of Jude, Governor Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, post their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year, Darius.
1: All right, so that was the passage I told you where they say they actually listen. Then God's response to that obedience is what Vince is going to read in chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Yes,
0: 3 19. I struck
1: you with light and you in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not try. Yes, that's correct. I know. it Start. He starts off by telling them about the way he punished them, but then it changes in verse
0: eighteen and nineteen. So you're in the right place. Keep reading, things. You did not. May says, "The Lord, consider how from this day forward, twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn, as yet divine find figs, and the olive tree that the crop But from this day I will plant it." All right, So that was God's response. He said, "The
1: end, verse nineteen. From this day forward." Because you did what I told you to, I will bless you. And so the lesson there for us is still true today the seeing of God's blessing when we do actually serve the Lord in the way that he tells us to. And then the final one before I open up for questions is Israel. We have to remember Israel was promised that David was going to be king forever in Jerusalem. And the kings went away during the exile. And so a lot of Israel's struggle is like, okay, did God just like break his promise that there's never going to be that the Davidic kings are gone? And so part of what Haggai does in Haggai verses chapters one and two is he points to Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of David. And he basically says, no, God's promise is still alive. God's still going to have a king over Israel and indeed over his people. And it's going to come through Zerubbabel. And so you get Haggai,
0: Wall 20 through 23 of chapter 2.
1: Goodbye.
2: In that day, said the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of shall said the Lord, and will make thee as a city, for I have chosen thee, said the Lord. 23
1: twenty three, twenty three. I thought you said twenty three. I'm sorry. Yeah, twenty three, twenty three. Okay. Well, well we I can understand. get the gist of it just twenty three. That's fine. We get the gist of it. We chose the Bible to be that, and God reinstills the hope that God has a king for Israel and a Davidic king coming for Israel, which means for us that there was hope again. Because that Davidic Kings comes with Jesus. If somebody reads Matthew one twelve, somebody get Matthew one twelve for me. You'll
0: see that one verse. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and after the after the deportation of Babylon, Je- I don't know the words. come was the father of. Maybe somebody else should read that. <laughs> and it's the father of Abed, and father of Ellicam, and the father of Azor. That's right. Keep going. Father that's Zerubbabel? it. No, that's it. That's I
1: good. No more torture. torture. You don't have to get tortured anymore. <laughs> there he is right there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. Matthew chapter 1, verse 13. It's Zerubbabel. So the hope of the Messiah coming. That the prophecies made of Zerubbabel, which we can't read anymore because we don't have any time, that they absolutely come true. But Zerubbabel is not the person that they hope in. In fact, we don't really know what happens to Zerubbabel for sure. But the tradition is that Darius got mad at him because they thought he thought that Zerubbabel was a threat and he had him killed. That's the tradition. So Zerubbabel obviously was not the person that really the prophecy was talking about. The prophecies about the king and Haggai come through with Jesus. And so the last messy bit that we have when we come to Haggai, now that we talk about the setting and the lessons for us, is what we need to remember as you read these tiny two chapters and how can you get help in drawing lessons for your life today. And I have three little helps for you. The first of those is to know, as we've done before, the context of what's happening and how Israel feels And the way that we still can feel like that today and do the same stuff as Christians. Secondly, understand the importance of the temple as the place where God's presence and God's forgiveness is found. But then third, recognize that the temple that's removable, that all of that ultimately for us is not in that man or inside that temple, but it's in Jesus and so we find that it's absolutely still true because Jesus is that for us today. And we don't have time to read this, but that means that the oh, we got too low. Um, somebody get Matthew 6, 19 through 22 and Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 19 through 22. Who wants that? Got a lot of names.
0: No, no <laughs> names
1: at all. that I can think off the top of my head. All right, and then Matthew 6, 33, it's in the same chapter, just the, the end of it. More.
2: 19
1: through 23? 19 through 22. Do not store up for yourselves treasures
2: on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heavens, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body.
1: You can you can stop twenty two okay. there, and then chapter verse thirty three says, "Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." So absolutely, the promises in Haggai are still true for us. Jesus says it in Matthew six. There's other paths we can go to, and so that same command is for us to keep our priorities right. Seek first the kingdom of God, and don't let our own
0: mess get in the way of God in our. So,
1: any comments or questions? Uh, yes,
0: yeah, what, uh, what happened to, to the rule? Yeah, the, uh, back uh, uh chapter 2, verse too. And I got yeah, said, so I, I, I will overthrow the kingdom and I will throw the strength of, of the kingdom of the season, and I will overthrow the character and those who might and emotions of their matter. They are coming out everyone
1: by the sword of his brother. yeah and uh historically that didn't happen for Zerubbabel, actually that's how we know that it wasn't really talking about him yeah verse
0: twenty two and chapter two any other questions comments today was really fast they what
1: Really fast, because we got started late. We'll try to do better next week. And uh, let me pray, and we'll close out then. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be here today. And Lord, thank you for this tiny book and um, for the lessons that it has for us, practical lessons for us as Christians. And Lord, we're thankful that you are the the temple and you are the king, the one that we can go to to enter the presence of God, to find forgiveness, Lord, that we don't have to rely on animal sacrifices or a physical building anymore like Israel did but we know that you're always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And God, I pray that you help us be believers, that you called us to be the, the people who um, follow you and have our priorities right, God, and uh, put you first, as you said in Matthew 6, knowing that everything else will follow well after that. Jesus, we love you thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: yes yeah.